With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Barca Talk. I am Brian Henderson in the post-Thanksgiving food coma of my home and joining me is our resident kinesiologist from madrid spain gabriel quiroga brian brian my barca brother from another mother and fellow kool-aids welcome to episode 54 of barca talk i too am suffering from the post thanksgiving coma uh lots of food i ate yesterday i think five thousand calories so yes yes it was and it was very delicious i have to say it is one of the one things that i love about Thanksgiving is it's something that reminds me of home. And yesterday, for sure, my my American friend put on a an amazing meal yesterday. All the the fixings that you could ever want, and I still haven't eaten since yesterday. Yeah, you don't need to. Exactly. I just wish I had like a half marathon to run or something today, so I could have just burned all that energy or that carbohydrates off. Yeah, that's. I mean, five thousand calories. That's that's a lot. That's that's like. Two, that, I mean, that's two days of eating. Correct. It is. It is a lot of food, but it was so worth it. I mean, I love stuffing so much. It is like one of the, the most underrated dishes, you know, like we never have it in any other time and it's only in Thanksgiving. And I remember my, my mother used to always say, she's like, no one really likes stuffing. And I'm like, what? No, false. Everyone loves stuffing. And last yesterday, my friend made this amazing stuffing and I had like three portions, I think. Oh, yeah. My wife made what I think is, and I'm still getting used to saying that my wife made, I think the best stuffing I've ever had. She makes her own bread. So there's constantly fresh homemade bread in the house. And so she made the stuffing with her own fresh homemade bread. And she substituted apples for, um, instead of onion. And it was seriously just like the most delicious stuffing I've ever had. So I want to you know, give a shout out to my wife for making some amazing stuffing and the bird came out perfect. The whole meal came out perfect. And it was all it was all her. She did such an amazing job. And we had friends uh, in Buffalo who didn't necessarily have anything else going on come over. We had a couple of friends who happened to be visiting Niagara Falls from Michigan who were in town. So they came out and Megan's parents also uh, came out and visited from San Francisco. So we had um, about eight of us here in our small one bedroom apartment and a great meal. It was a lot. It was fun. Uh, we played trivial pursuit to like, to, to no winner. It took forever, but it was a good time. Well, that sounds great. I mean, you know, that's, you know, that's what the holidays are about, you know, coming together with your family and having really good food and just sharing. Right. I mean, that's, 
that's what happened yesterday. I was with some new friends, some old friends, and it was just really nice just to get together and have a meal like that. And, you know, that's one of the one things I do miss being far away from my home is not being able to do that uh, during Thanksgiving with my own family. But having my friends in this type of uh, situation um, that actually cook for me and share their house with me is just amazing. So I don't miss so much the whole Thanksgiving experience. Yeah. Well, um, were the Spaniards involved? Uh, were, was this new? Was Thanksgiving like a new thing for them? Were they taken aback by the meal or anything? Was it culture shock for them? Yeah, there were some new uh, people yesterday. There was like, I think, four or five Spanish people that had never had Thanksgiving dinner, and they were kind of shell-shocked of the amount of food, I think, and also the amount of carbohydrates, you know, because after we ate, everyone was obviously in a food coma. We had to go walk around a little bit, but overall, everyone liked it. You know, you can't go wrong with just, you know, uh, showcasing the stuffing, the turkey, the gravy, mashed potato. I mean, it, it was just spectacular. My friend Whitney, if you're listening, thank you very much. All right. Yes. Thanks, Whitney. And uh, for all of our listeners who are not, you know, Americans or from the United States, uh, we we know we have some listeners in the UK and Canada. We know you had your Thanksgiving last month. And uh, of course, you know, our fans in Denmark, we're going to pick up on that later. But this is an ongoing it's a joke, but it's actually not a joke. It's real. Like after the bigger countries, we're we're surprisingly popular in Denmark. Um, but anyway, so we're going to shift away from the Thanksgiving talk. It's a big deal for us Americans. We had a nice Thanksgiving, and we hope all of our American listeners had one as well, yeah, even if you're not in the United States. Hopefully you managed to get something done uh, similar to Gabriel. But anyway, um, big news for the show. We mentioned this last week. Uh, Spotify is live for Barca Talk. So we are officially on Spotify. You can find us we're somewhere deep in the sports and recreation category, but you could also just search us out. If you just search soccer, the keyword soccer, you could find us really easily. Uh, so if you're using Spotify and you're starting to go to Spotify for your podcasts, you could find us on there. So it, we're, we're up and running on Spotify. Big news. I was also scolded this last week. Apparently last week I spent more time talking about Spotify than I did talking about getting married. So I got a little scolding from my wife for that, but <laughs> I I didn't feel like I was talking about it too much. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I I didn't I didn't I didn't think it was either. But you know, I mean, tell Megan that Spotify is a big deal. You know, I mean, it's it's you know, it may not be for life, but it, it's a right. big deal. <laughs> well, so today on the show, uh, we have a lot, a lot to talk about. We have exciting news from the front office. Um, as always, some good listener comments. And as we near El Clasico in late December, we're going to be looking back at some of our favorite past Clasicos in the coming weeks. So this week, we're kicking this off. Uh, it's We're going to talk about the 5 nothing win from November 2010. And uh, we'll also go ahead and keep you up to speed with Barca B and FCB Femini. And we have two match reviews this week after the Champions League clash with Juventus and the league match with Valencia. And, of course, we'll look ahead to what's in store next week. So, lots to do. Vamos! So, first up, the big news out of the front office. Messi has finally signed the dotted line. He has renewed his contract. Uh, the deal is set up so that it's going to keep him at the club through the 2020-21 season. That's a lot of 20s. But 2020 through 21 season... Uh, the buyout clause is set at 700 million euro. 
And uh, by the end of this contract, Messi will have been on the first team for 17 years. So that's not counting his time at La Masia, his time in the C team or the B team. Just on the first team, he will have been on for 17 years. And um, in a press conference on Saturday, Valverde said he had no doubts. But, uh, oh, it wasn't Saturday. It felt like Saturday because this last holiday week was weird. But earlier in the week, before the Juventus match, he's... He said that he had no doubts about this, uh, but he did admit that, you know, things are calmer now, that the pen has actually met the paper. And this is the big news. This is the big story for the week as far as the club goes. So we, I would say, almost certainly have Messi through 2021. Yeah, so this is great news. You know, Bartomeo is super happy with getting this done. Uh, I got a bunch of messages on my phone yesterday about midday. Uh, I got the notification from the FC Barcelona app as well. So I was like, okay, this is official, official. And sure enough, we saw the pictures with the awkward hug, obviously with Bartomeu, as always. That guy always wants to hug Messi. Leave him alone. He doesn't want to hug you, you know? Anyway. Um, and yeah, so this is really great news. So everyone's really happy. Uh, as When I was reading everything on Twitter, everyone's super happy that he's staying on until 2021. And I never doubted this was going to happen. Uh, I just, you know, obviously we were just waiting for the photo op to happen to make sure that it was complete confirmation. So, I mean, great news. He's going to, and I, I still can't believe 17 years on the first team. That is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Now, speaking of ridiculous, what do you think about the 700 million euro buyout clause? Now, we've talked about buyout clauses in the past, actually, and it's just one of those things that. Spain requires that you have in a contract and a lot of times they're just sort of um, they're set at these astronomical rates and we talked about this with Neymar but then Paris Saint-Germain came along and paid the ridiculous buyout clause for Neymar which didn't even come close to this one but also like it doesn't I don't think Messi has any desire to go to any other club yeah I don't think he has a desire as well but I mean what club could come up with 700 million euro transfer fee I mean, maybe Manchester City or Paris Saint-Germain, but I mean, that is, that's almost an impossible figure to reach. Uh, You know, the 700 million euro thing kind of reminds me of Austin Powers, you know, like the 1 billion million, you know, kind of, you know, this astronomical number, you know, but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, I don't think any club's going to try to, you know, pay for that. It's just too much money. And, you know, Messi's going to be pretty much a Barca person for life, you know, and that's really great news because that means that we can hopefully continue to win trophies, continue to see Messi in his prime, continue to see Messi goals, Messi passes, everything Messi. Messi, Messi, Messi. It's always Messi. Messi all the time, 24-7, right? I mean, that's just that's what we want. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, we're in an era of, you know, looking at or watching Messi. We may never see a player of his caliber and his talent, and so we should, you know, take every opportunity, and now he's going to be at the club until 2021, so that's... That's just really great news. Yeah, we're, uh, I think, really thrilled. And I don't think I had any doubts either, although I think I was getting a bit nervous here and there uh, just because he hadn't actually signed yet. And, you know, we know that there's a a certain contingent among the Cules and some of the membership about Bartomeu and being worried that maybe Messi and Bartomeu, like, I don't know, don't have uh, the, the best of relationships you know, and it's not just because Bartomeu is always trying to hug Messi and he doesn't want him to. But in any case, that's that's all done. That's over. And he's signed. We got him. We're good to go. And our second news story, Messi wins his fourth UEFA Golden Boot. 
So it was uh, this just happened last week. Uh, so last year, uh, Messi scored 37 goals in La Liga, which was the chart topper in all of Europe. And he is now equal with Cristiano Ronaldo, who also has four golden boots. And uh, luckily, it was a nice uh, ceremony, local. It was in Barcelona. And Luis Suarez, his bestie from South America and last year's golden boot winner, presented him the award. And, of course, Messi, what he had to say was individual prizes always come from the collective. And this award is for everyone because without my teammates, I would not have scored the goals that I did. And, I mean, what can you say about about Messi and what an incredible class act he is, always giving it up for his teammates? Yeah, I mean, that's why that's another reason why I love Messi so much, because he's super humble and he always takes credit with the team and it's not just about individual glory. And so for me, that's such an attractive quality as a super athlete, right? Like he's won all these golden boots, Ballon d'Or, and he always gives credit to the team. This was a no-brainer, 37 goals in La Liga. He was obviously going to win it. Um, Again, his bestie from a different mother. Could that be another, like something like this? I don't know. But yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. so yeah, right. Luis Suarez gave it to him. It was a nice little ceremony in Barcelona. And yeah, so hopefully Messi can get a fifth one this year too. You know, I'm always looking at how Messi can supersede Ronaldo. So in any category where, you know, kind of ma- matters, I hope he can either tie or do better than Ronaldo. So there's never this kind of debate in in the future that you're saying, oh yeah, Ronaldo was equally as good as Messi. No. No, not at all. Actually, a few years ago, uh, Megan found this article that I think he's just like a hardcore statistician. Uh, he did this whole study, um, and the title of it is, um, I think, I think the title is "Messi is Impossible." Like it, he should. He's actually like when you look at when you really break down all of his stats and you start doing some, you know, more interesting statistical combinations and calculations and things he's just completely off the charts and Ronaldo is close but Messi is always a little bit better but I totally agree any opportunity for for Messi to to outdo Ronaldo I'm all for it because yeah when we're thinking 10 20 years down the line or you know even further we uh we don't want anyone to be able to look back and say well Ronaldo no you you know you're going to have one of those batman and robin comics you know where he's slapping robin <laughs> of course pow right pow right in the kisser you know um so yeah, yeah so i mean just overall just a really good week for messi right getting the contract extension and then by the way here's the golden boots right so again just a great week for messi we get to see him till 2021 and you know again he is europe's leading scorer yet again yeah now Final item in the news section. Um, We're not in the transfer window just yet, uh, but we are nearing it. That's going to be in in January. But apparently there is a transfer rumor that you found interesting enough to want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I've been listening to, obviously, the other Barcelona podcasts and and ESPN FC and some other publications about this Mesut Ozil winter transfer rumor that it's gaining a lot of traction. And mainly the biggest... um, attraction to Ozil is that he has a low transfer fee. It's only 20 million and he would be a really great option, you know, a great winger, but everyone kind of seems to be on board with this transfer. However, I'm not, I don't like this transfer at all. Like I don't like this because like, I have a question for you, Brian, like do we always have to get the sexiest players? I don't know. That seems like 
that seems to be the uh, the guiding principle. I mean, like, for example, like right now how we're playing, yeah, it's not the most pleasing to the eye football. It doesn't even compare to like, you know, we're going to talk about the Classico from 2010. It doesn't compare to that that style of beautiful football, but we are winning right now, and I like how our team is comprised, and I also like how Val Green has constructed the team to fit how he wants to manage, right? And we're doing really well. I think Ozil would create a wrench kind of in the team chemistry. I don't think he's – I think he's super overrated. When he was in Real Madrid, I, don't, I can't think of one moment where I was like, oh, my God, I wish Ozil was on our team. Yeah, he's very talented, super talented attacking player. He, like I was listening to the other Barcelona podcast and another one, they were saying about his work rate with assists. But to me, in the big games, when you need him, he doesn't come through. And to me, like, I, I would prefer having Dennis Suarez or someone younger to give that playing time to that we can groom for the future and actually works really hard. To me, I just think he's just going to be too much of a distraction. And also he's 29 years old. So his contract ends at the end of this year. They would have to sign him to an extension for another three years. And we might have another Arda Turan situation. Yeah, I don't see anything good coming out of an Ozil transfer to Barcelona. I totally agree. I'd rather see uh, Denny Suarez get more time and have him groomed. I don't think we need Ozil. Uh, and like you said, you know, he has a lot of good points about him. He has a lot to offer, but he's aging. He used to play for Real Madrid. So that's, you know, a little not cool. Um, and we have plenty of talent and Valverde has a squad that he wants. He knows how to work with them and he and they're getting even better and better chemistry as the season goes. I do think that Ozil would totally throw a wrench into things. Exactly. Like in this winter transfer window, I want to get rid of bad contracts for example, Turan, Andres Gomez, these type of contracts, these type of players. But also, we don't have to take on an Ozil player because we need so much attacking. For example, against Juventus, we had no options because Messi was out. But again, we got the point. And I like the way Val Green has constructed the team that we're tougher this year. We're more defensive focused. And we're winning all the games that we're playing. Or we're getting points even. You know, like we haven't lost a game. So for me... Getting the maximum points and winning is more important than being the sexiest football available, you know. So I know Ozil's a great player. Like, he had, he's really good one-on-one. But to me, I just think he would be too much of a distraction. And I don't, I don't think he would really fit into the Barcelona, like, especially how we saw against Juventus, the pressing style. I can't remember the last time you saw Ozil 90 minutes pressing on defense. Yeah. It's just I don't I don't think it's I don't think it would be good. So good. So we agree. And, I, and you know, I just I just hope that, you know, obviously, you know, when we're a Barcelona fan, we want these super sexy attacking players. But at the same time, just because we don't have it at the current moment doesn't mean we always have to take on these these super sexy players just because to me, it's more important to have the results and to have a really great season. And I just don't think he would be a really good fit at uh, Barcelona. Yeah, and I don't think that you could really guarantee. I mean, there is never a guarantee in anything, and especially when you bring in a new player, you don't know what's going to happen. And but in any case, there's you know there's no real evidence to to point to the fact that bringing him in would make a significantly better like like a significant improvement to the squad. I think. I mean, look at the season we're having so far; it's looking great. We're having a great season. We, you know, if, if anything, we just need the players we have to be healthier. And of course there's, you know, always center back woes, but, 
but that's that's always the case. Exactly, and and I get it because you know he would be perfect because he hasn't he's not playing in Champions League right now, so he would be uh, available to play for Champions League, and I know that's a low transfer free but at the same time i'm more interested in unloading the contracts and not taking so much in again yeah well we'll stay tuned on that hopefully you know we're we at barca talk are keeping our fingers crossed that that does not go through um, but we'll stay abreast of that situation as it as it unfolds in january let's uh let's move on to some listener comments because we got some really good ones this week and we do have again we have a lot to get through in this episode so this first one actually came from Diego. He got in touch on Instagram. Uh, he says, hey, guys, I'm Diego from Venezuela. My question is, do you really think that PK should be in best team of the century? I would put Ramos in the center with Puyol and put Dani Alves on the right. Very glad that there are six Barca players on the best in century. So uh, what Diego's referring to here is uh, this so-called team of the century that UEFA put out last week, which was actually only a ploy to whip up some interest in their annual Team of the Year award, uh, which they're going to announce very soon. The Team of the Century thing was really just decided based on how many times a player had appeared in the Team of the Year since UEFA started doing that. So that Team of the Century wasn't really a judgment on any player's performance. It was more of just a tabulation of past winners. Although uh, Puyol was also on it, along with Xavi, Iniesta, Messi, and Terry Henry and some other guys who've never played for Barcelona. So really, I just wanted to clear that up. I think there was just like a slight misunderstanding in what the team of the century was. It's uh, it's not a standalone award that UEFA has uh, given. It was really just a, a ploy to, I don't, I don't know, try and get some excitement going for their team of the year. I, I don't know why they need to do that in any case, but whatever. Because publicity, you know, get people to talk about it, just like we're talking about it, right? Uh, I always think PK should be in the in the team of the century. I'm a Kool-Aid, right? Like, I always feel that way. And also, above Ramos, obviously. I mean, I think Ramos is, like, the most overrated player, de- a defensive player. Now, he has other qualities. You know, he's really good at clutch goals and being a captain and rallying his team. But as a pure defender, I, I would take PK. Because PK is just overall just a better passer, more control on the ball. He doesn't lose his head as often. He doesn't have as many red card ejections. And to me, I think that's a very important stat when you're looking at the best center backs of the century. So for me, yeah, PK definitely deserves it more than Ramos. Yeah, absolutely. For all the reasons that you just pointed out. He's just, he's, yeah, he's a much better defender. And he's been more consistent for a longer time. I mean, you know, it's funny when we, when you talked about the Classico, the 2010, I was watching the video clips and nothing makes me happier than seeing a Ramos get burned on so many goals and also B Ramos getting ejected. And he did both of those things in 2010 Classico. So for me, that's just a microcosm of his career at Real Madrid. Yeah, well put. (laughs) So thanks, Diego, for that that question. Uh, We would both rather have PK than Ramos any day of the week. Our next one came from Carlos, uh, also on Instagram. Uh, His username is KDRM87, or his handle, I should say. KDRM87. Uh, Carlos says, hi, I'm from Cuba, but one year ago I came to the United States, uh, to Phoenix. I'm a Barca fan since 1998. I found your podcast, so I want to say that it's incredible because I was looking for something like that with Barca News and After Game Analysis. I listen to it when I exercise or in my car when I drive, etc., Thanks, guys. So I just want to say first up that I I really just wanted to put this one on the show as like a little bit of self-promotion. 
not so shameless. I'm not ashamed. We're happy with what we're doing, and we're glad that Carlos enjoys the show. But also, um, he's in Phoenix now. He came from Cuba. And, Gabriel, you spent uh, a good a good amount of time in Phoenix, and you have some advice for Carlos living in Phoenix. Yeah, I, I lived there about 10 years in Phoenix. I went to Arizona State, so I'm very familiar with the Phoenix, Tempe, Scottsdale triangle there. Uh, yeah, so I have some advice for Carlos. Carlos, the first thing is make sure you have good air conditioning, either in your car or in your, in your house, because that is super important when it gets to 114 or 120 degrees Fahrenheit in the summertime, which is super hot. The other thing, too, is always have a towel in your car because your steering wheel could burn you. And that's a fact. I've been burned by my steering wheel many times without not having a towel. So, Carlos, make sure you have a good hand towel to cover your steering wheel in those hot summer days. And the last thing is make sure you have friends with pools because those are your best friends, especially in the summertime. That's the best way to survive those heat is just go to the pool, have some Coronas, and try to stay cool in the shade. Yeah, and yeah, make sure to have those Coronas on hand for your friends with the pools so that you can you know, stay in their good graces, right? Exactly. And, you know, that's that's always the best thing, right? Don't ever show up empty-handed. I mean, that's just a rule in life, right? Every time you go. So, but also, you know, just make friends with, with people with pools and, you know, just show up with Coronas and try to stay cool during those hot days. That's all I can say. Right on. Thanks again, Carlos. Now, as we've mentioned, we are big in Denmark. And this next one came from Martin from Denmark. Uh, he got in touch with us on Facebook. Martin says, uh, hi, guys. I only started watching Barca last year around the December Clasico. Uh, this means I missed years of enjoyable football. I was wondering if you have some recommendations for matches to watch from eras referenced on your show like Pep's Barca, Peak, Xavi, Iniesta, etc. Keep up the good work and congrats on the Spotify acceptance. Uh, thanks a lot, Martin. We appreciate that. And I wanted to put this on the show because uh, your immediate response to him, you, you gave him like four video links to watch. You gave him some like required viewing for a, a new Barca fan. And there was a like a Sky Sports documentary on the club, which was really good. There was that Pep Guardiola documentary from 2016. There was a really cool highlight edit of team play goals. You know, there are a lot of highlight edits out there. But I think this is one of the better edits I've seen. And, of course, there was a messy documentary. So, I mean, based on what you gave him, if you're a newer fan, this stuff, uh, we should put it on the page, actually. Because if you're a newer fan, I'd say this is required viewing to get a sense of just of just what you're rooting for. You know, the legacy, the history, the values. And, of course, you can go even deeper. But these are all really good places to start. Yeah, this is like my quintessential mixtape, I think, you know, like I found these videos a long time ago and I've kept them in my profile. And when Martin sent this question, I was like, oh, we got these videos perfectly for this occasion. And sure enough, they're really good documentaries, kind of get you the sense, the history. And I think my favorite video of all those is the team play, because you watch that. It just puts a smile to your face. How beautiful they were playing under Pep with the tiki-taka and just how they left defenses in the dust. It's it's a really great video. So, yeah, I'll definitely put it on the Facebook page so other people can check it out, not just Martin from Denmark. Yeah, so we'll, we'll be sharing that all this week. Now, that actually leads perfectly into our next segment. We're starting the countdown to El Clasico. So uh, the first Clasico of the league is coming on December 23rd. It was originally scheduled for December 20th. 
Uh, but now it's going to be held on the eve of Christmas Eve, which is, I think, a very awkward time to have it. But in any case, that's when they're doing it. Uh, this edition of the Classico will be played in Madrid at the Santiago Bernabeu. It'll be the 236th time the two teams have met in a competitive match. So that's not counting any, you know, so-called friendlies or preseason things. Now, I have something very special planned for uh, this game on game day. I can't give you any details just yet. I'm still working things out. Not even Gabriel knows about it. I'm keeping it very close to the vest. But I will be able to tell you more in a couple of weeks. We are going to have something special on Classico Day. Now, before that match, we do have four more episodes. And so in anticipation of that, we're going to start highlighting our favorite Classicos for the next four episodes You know, from the past. And this week, we're going to revisit the November 2010 match in La Liga, played at the Camp Nou. Um, It was a very significant match for me as a Barca fan, because that was the year that I became a Barca fan. I was still riding high from Spain, winning the World Cup. And at the start of the season, I actually had no strong allegiances yet. I was just looking to watch some, some Spanish football. But by the time this match had come around in late November, I was already all in for Barca. Here's some context. Uh, This was uh, Jose Mourinho's first year managing Real Madrid, and it was Pep Guardiola's third year managing Barcelona. They had dominated, Barcelona had dominated, since Guardiola took over in 2008. They had won the league the last two years. They had won the treble in 2009. And uh, Mourinho, on the other hand, you know, he had a way of kind of like getting into people's heads with his press conferences. And it was a very... A dicey time when every Classico had a fight, and this match was the first one of those I ever saw. And uh, you are actually you made a comment about this in our uh, show notes about this particular match and what it's called. Yeah, this match is always referred to as La Manita because Barcelona won five zero, and on the fifth goal, when Jeffren's uh, goal came in. PK put his hand up as the with the five, and that ever became infamous. And everyone in the crowd put the hand up for the five goals. And so, yeah, um, this was a huge match because Mourinho had been brought in to conquer and slay Barcelona because before they were so passive under Pellegrini. And when they brought Mourinho, he came in with his fighting words, and he came from Inter Milan, where he had just won the Champions League with them, and he had beaten Barcelona. So for sure, Madrid was going to be on the up and up. And he brought a lot of controversy with him, especially, you know, Mourinho used to work in Barcelona as a translator. So he was always thinking of coming back to Barcelona. But now, as Madrid, he was the, you know, the... The, the evil one now, not not <laughs> not the special one, you know. And the only way he he knew how to beat Barcelona was to basically talk shit and have his team play rough and tumble. And this was the first time that they played in the Clasico, and Barcelona brought a beat down to them in so many levels. It was glorious. Oh yeah. So a little bit more like background. So it was the um, if you put it in the context of the whole season, right? It was the 13th round of the season, so like 13th match day. And going into it, only one point separated the two teams, and Real Madrid were actually on top. Barcelona had lost one game, drawn one game, and won the other 10 so far in the season, while Madrid had not lost one. They uh, they had two draws, and they also had 10 wins. So Real were ahead of Barcelona by just one point. And this turned out to be a really decisive match, because after this win... 
Barcelona remained at the top of the table for the rest of the year. So I just want to talk about the lineups for this match. They were actually really strong on both sides. Like Real were running like for, sort of a 4-2-3-1. They had Casillas in goal, still at the top of his game, an incredible goalkeeper. The defensive line had Carvalho, Sergio Ramos, Pepe, and Marcelo, right? So a lot of uh, good defensive and attacking action there. Uh, Pepe and Carvalho, I remember especially, were both very good at uh, committing a lot of fouls, both professional and otherwise. Hated those two guys. And then in the midfield, you had Xabi Alonso, who I actually very much respect. I think Xabi Alonso uh, was a great player. You know, he just played for the wrong team. Um, and then they also had Sammy Kadira. And then uh, up front, you had Ozil, Di Maria, and Ronaldo looking to feed Benzema as the striker. But on the other hand, Barcelona had, I think, a, the starting 11 to die for. Like, you could make a world 11, and it would be these 11 guys. You had Victor Valdez in goal, back four of Dani Alves, Pique, Puyol, and Eric Abidal. In the midfield, Xavi Iniesta Busquets, probably one of the best midfields of all time. And the attack, we had David Villa, Pedro, and a shaggy-haired Messi. I mean, those, you know, both those lineups are very formidable. But the thing with the Real Madrid one is you had Ramos playing, where was he playing? He wasn't playing center. He was playing left back. No, right back. He was playing right right back. And um, Marcelo hadn't come to his own yet. He was still young. I think it was either his first or second season at Real Madrid as a starter. So he was still kind of rounding out his game. But also Pepe and Carvalho, like you said, they've they committed more fouls than they did anything. And especially top class teams like with Barcelona attacking them, they just looked very slow and confused. But on the other hand, our starting 11, I mean, who would you trade in that 11? Maybe I would put Ter Stegen in gold just as an upgrade. But other than that, I wouldn't change anything because you had Davi Villa playing at the top of his game. They just came back from the World Cup. He was the quintessential poacher, could always make those goals, read Messi's passes really well. And Pedro just as well with his pressing, his defense. You know, this is the dream 11 that you would want to have for any high-powered match against Real Madrid. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't think I would trade anyone from from that eleven. I mean, like you said, I mean, if we want to talk about upgrades, we could, but but I don't know. I wouldn't trade anyone uh, from that eleven. But so talking about the the match itself, um, Real Madrid, you know, they're a great team. They obviously worked out some good chances. Valdez had to grab a cross from Ronaldo in the early minutes, and he took a knock to his elbow. Uh, the backup goalkeeper at the time, Pinto, he was warming up, but uh, Valdez turned out to be fine. But overall. Barca were just dominating this game so much, like leaving everyone in the dust, dominating the ball. And that made sense with the two managers' styles. You know, Guardiola was always having Barca play the possession-based, attacking tiki-taka football, while Mourinho was always happy to just concede possession, concede space, and look for a killing counter. And, of course, they're both still that way. That's why Manchester United is a very boring team to watch now, and Man City is a great team to watch, as I understand it. Um, now, we're not going to go into detail uh, of every single goal, but I can tell you that all five of them were absolute beauties. I just want to talk about my favorite goal from this match. It was the first one in the 10th minute, and it was a bit of a shocker. Um, it was a Chabi. Chabi scored the goal, and he had gotten himself into the box, not where he would have normally found himself. Uh, he wasn't getting into the box much that year, but the ball came in from Iniesta, and I mean, talk about threading the needle. 
Iniesta found the space in the defensive line and sent Chabi this rocket pass. And Chabi at first kind of messed up receiving it. Uh, It was actually just behind him, but he got it on his heel and it popped up. And then Casillas was advancing on him. And as the ball was dropping, he stuck his leg up kind of high and just gently lobbed it over Casillas' head. And like Chabi was already my hero at that point. But I remember being beside myself when when he scored that goal. Yeah, I remember this goal clearly. And, you know, I think it's a really good goal to highlight, um, especially since Xavi's your favorite player. Just the way he kind of pirouetted and the ball just kind of found his foot. And then he just didn't even, like, panic. He's just like, oh, I'm just going to lob it over Casillas in the Classico in front of 100,000 people real quick. And he just does it. Again, like just pure, pure balls, you know, just assassin, you know. Um, but before we, I want to talk more about your goal. Like I just remember this game, especially because how it was rainy, it was wet, right? It was very slick. And Barcelona, the way they maintained their passing, they made it seem like it was dry. And the way they were able to control the pace and the possession, it was just masterclass, you know. And at that time, too, Mourinho was still tinkering with his lineup. And in the game, they had some opportunities on the counter, but he still didn't have his dream 11 yet. He hadn't fully put his stamp onto the team defensively and also how to run the counterattack. So you could see some glimpses there, especially, you know, how they were going to develop and evolve. But Barcelona was riding high. This is the third year under Pep, and so they were a machine at this point. And, yeah, I mean, I remember – I don't know where I was watching this game. I can't remember exactly if it was at a friend's house or something, but I I do specifically remember this game. For for the Xavi goal, the way he pirouetted, and then also my favorite goal that we're going to talk about in a sec. So which was your favorite goal? So my favorite goal was the fourth goal for many reasons. The fourth goal just highlights a how great Messi is as a passer where he cuts in and he just – the way he hits the ball, especially like since I – you know, how he did it. Like I just don't know how he did it. The way he barely hits the ball and the ball just with the pace – the through ball, it finds David Villa on this great run. And, of course, David Villa beat Ramos, which is another great thing. And David Villa was one-on-one with Casillas, and he just slots it underneath him. And that was basically game set Guillermo. That was just like game over, classical over, season over almost. It was just like not only were they physically so much superior to them that day, that night, but also psychologically, just everything about it. That fourth goal for me was my favorite. And again, Messi's passing on that. It's just, it's, it's so beautiful. I love when Messi does these amazing assists and he can see, he saw that he wanted to pass it earlier, but he waited and then he did a better pass. And it's just via just finished and via always one of the best finishers we've ever seen in Spanish football. Yeah, I miss David Villa so much. I would, I, I wish we had him instead of Suarez, if I'm totally honest. Mainly because he was so much better on the ball. He was a killer finisher, but so was Suarez. But Villa also had incredible dribbling and ball control and a, a great kind of telepathy with Messi. Exactly. And the other, my other favorite images or video of this of this match were, it looked like Marcelo was crying, but it was actually the rain and the way he looked up, it was just like. He was so sad and Ramos was exposed and Ramos, you know, everyone was cheering against him and Ronaldo complaining. And, you know, it's like the quintessential Real Madrid reacting, you know, reaction. It's like they just blame each other and they can't like rally each other because they're just so individualized. So that I just love that moment. And also PK raising his hand, just 
forever talking shit to Real Madrid. I love it. It wasn't a thumbs up. It was a, you know, it was a PK raising the hand and everyone just followed suit. And it was amazing. Like you, when you watch that fifth goal, right? Because not only was it Jeffrey some like scrub that scored the fifth goal and how they all celebrated on the touchline as a team. And then when PK came out of the pile with his hand up, the whole crowd just immediately picks it up and puts the hand up. They even have t-shirts made up. It just says La Manita. And it's so great. I love that's one of the reasons why I love PK so much I mean he's a great player but you know I love the way he talks shit and he you know he never holds back and in that moment without even thinking you know what I'm saying like it wasn't like after the game it was like in that moment he just like rose his hand up five goals and it was just like done you know yeah (laughs) iconic exactly you know he's he's the quintessential he's our guy we love him to death and everyone else hates him because he's not on their team you know he's the quintessential guy but again he was so oh man you know he he hates real madrid so much and especially you know it's 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 very interesting because they had just won the world cup as a spanish national team and leading up to that iniesta ramos all these real madrid and barcelona players they really had to come together to win this World Cup trophy. And then all of a sudden, like, two months later, it's just dissolved, right? It's just, it doesn't even matter. We already won the World Cup. Okay, great. And you're my enemy now. And I just kind of like that, how that happened, you know, because it's just, it's crazy how that happened. They were they were brothers in one moment, and now they're enemies. Well, it's, it's a weird kind of professional rivalry. Um, when they're playing together, they're, they're friends. And before the match, even, if you watch, like, you know, they're getting ready in the tunnel before they're coming out for the match, Ramos was hugging um, Iniesta and Puyol and Pique and all of those, his Spanish teammates. There was, like, plenty of good feeling before the match. But once that whistle blows and the game is on, that's not, that's not, in, that's not there anymore. There's none of that. You would never guess that these guys were such great teammates who won a World Cup together. So it's like it's it's almost like it's part of their job and they're just professionals doing their job, hating each other. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, again, this if you watch the extended highlights, just Ramos's face all the time. I mean, how do you not want to punch it? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just you just look at him and you're just like the fouls that he commits. And then he also like pushes Puyol to the ground because Puyol wasn't expecting it. Like Ramos is like one of those guys where like if you were in a street fight. Like, he would be the first guy to, like, run and punch someone and then run the other way, you know? Like, he's just one of those kind of, <laughs> you know, guys, you know? He just seems like that guy. So, uh, anyway, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed this game, especially revisiting it. I know you have more notes about um, some of the dichotomy between Mourinho and Guardiola, but I just, man, I was watching the videos yesterday and today, and it just, it just not only the style of the, you know, how they played at that moment in Barcelona history, but also you know throttling madrid it just never gets old oh no i never get tired of it yeah i mean like so revisiting the whole guardiola Mourinho rivalry that was an interesting time it was an interesting era um specifically for me you know becoming a barca fan at that time because like i don't think that the differences could have been more stark than they were at that time you know nowadays you see a certain respect between zidane and valverde and enrique before that you know very cordial professional respect you know yes there's a rivalry but we respect one another we're professionals that sort of thing there was none of that between Guardiola and Mourinho and I always felt like Mourinho was to blame mostly because he played his game in the press room with all of his snide insults and his shit talking I mean that that guy's the worst I still can't stand that guy and through this whole era 
you could always count on at least one fight breaking out in a Classico. Like, lately, last couple of years, not too many fights. It's been really, like, again, pretty cordial. But I'm sure there's a, a long history of, of fights and, you know, contentious things happening in Classicos. But, you know, you just don't see that too much these days. But in those days, every time they met, there would be a fight. You know, this time, there was one on a Real Madrid throw-in after Barcelona were up two goals. Ronaldo was trying to qu- take a quick throw-in, but Guardiola was holding the ball away from him, and then he tossed it down when Ronaldo reached for it. So, like, you know, a little bit of shade from Guardiola there. But <laughs> but then Ronaldo pushed Pep, and that was it. The whole Barcelona team on the field were rushing over. Even Valdez ran over from his goal. I mean, it wasn't too bad, but Valdez and Ronaldo both got yellow cards for it. You know, and later on when Real were down 4 nothing, all they were doing was just fouling like crazy. They picked up three yellow cards in just as many minutes in with like 20 minutes in the game because they were just frustrated, defeated, like they knew that they were getting danced around. And uh, it's, so it's like that's the distinction. Like even at their worst, you know, Barca's not going to do that. You're not going to have Barcelona players just making all kinds of cynical fouls just because they're losing. But you will see that with Real Madrid, and especially you would see it under Mourinho. Yeah, exactly. And especially at the end of the game when Ramos got ejected, it was because they they hacked the shit out of Messi. And they all came running out. And, of course, Ramos was in the center of it, as always. And, you know, he basically, like, push-punched Puyo on the face kind of a thing. And that just started everything. Valdez came. I mean, it just started this whole ruckus, right? And... Again, this was the quintessential kind of Mourinho style. Like, he just wants to muck it up, you know, foul, make it really slow, defensive and counterattack. And that's what he tried to do, and it totally backfired. Now, obviously, in the later season, and uh, we're going to highlight my Classico next week um, in 2011, where Mourinho finally had them running really well. But this game was the best because Pep had the first step, and he's just like... I'm still the big dog here. Yeah, so next week we'll pick up on your favorite. Well, not necessarily your favorite, but one of your favorites. We're going to pick up on that next week. And then after that, we're going to be holding a Twitter poll to uh, get some listener picks for the uh, the final two before the Classico on December 23rd. So that does it for our Classico countdown this week. Next up, what's going on with Barca B? So Barca B, they tied today 1-1 one to one against Almeria a goal by Anthony Lozano in the 55th minute. So they were able to get a point, and with that point, they are still in 16th place with 17 points. So they're still kind of in the relegation zone because the relegation zone is between 12 and 17 points, so they still need to get some more victories and some more ties to kind of keep them away and get some more space. Their next match is going to be next Saturday against Reus, who is in 12th place with 21 points. And if Barcelona gets a, that victory, they'll be able to have a little bit more space. And, you know, th- with Barca, with the Segunda division being clear of 24 points, I think, 25 at the end of the season, is going to have you in good standing. So Barcelona just needs to continue to tie, and they'll be okay. But obviously get a couple victories here and there, they'll be okay. So again, like we always highlight, we just want them to stay up so they can get more experience. But again, these teams, especially like Almeria, they have some grown men playing for them that have played professional football for a long time. So these are really good teams as well. But Barca B, holding their own today, one-to-one against Almeria. Nice. 
good to good to hear. Now, on the other side, um, looking at FCB Femini, they didn't actually play this past week. All the women were on international duty, so no games to review. Um, but on our last episode, we were waiting to see how Atletico Madrid were going to do in their fixture to see how Barca would end up the week in the table. And Atleti beat Betis 4-2 last week, so right now Barcelona is three points behind Atleti in the table. Um, but there are only 10 games into a 30-game season, so there will be plenty of chances for Atletico to drop points. And uh, next Saturday, um, our women are going to play Real Betis themselves. Uh, now, Betis are in 10th place. Um, Barcelona's in 2nd place. And, um, I mean, judging from these results that, uh, that like, Atletico just got last week against Betis, I think we could be uh, fairly safe in assuming or uh, projecting that... Uh, that the Barcelona women will be able to get a win out of that match. They're generally looking really fierce this season. They're having a great year. Uh, It looks like the only real rival for them is Atletico. Uh, Of course, you know, things can happen. You never know how a game will go. That's why we play the game. But um, I think we'll be able to get a win out of that and stay strong in the Iberdrola Premium First League Women (laughs) It has some ridiculously long name, the name of the league that they actually play in. <laughs> the Hot and Spicy Iberdrola Super Premium Women's Super League. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, but the the women, you know, they they just need to keep winning and keep pace with Atleti because the next time they play them, hopefully they can get a victory. It's just a two-team race between Atleti and Barca, so they just have to keep the pace. Two-team race, keep the pace. We have our slogan. <laughs> Iberdola. <laughs> All right, back to business. Let's okay. talk about let's talk about La Liga. Uh, so, uh, yes, on Saturday, Malaga lost to Real Madrid, um, but they didn't make it easy for the Blancos. Uh, I was watching the game a little bit myself. I don't know if you were, but when Malaga equalized twice, both times, I was just so hoping that they could pull out that draw. And then those were like they were good goals too, but Malaga gave up a penalty late in the game, and of course Ronaldo put it away. So Real are still there in fourth place, tied with Atletico at twenty-seven points. Did you watch that game much? I didn't watch the game. I was, you know, yesterday I was doing the Thanksgiving thing, but today I read the match report from the match, and I also saw the highlights. Again, the Madrid getting lucky with the penalty, the last one. They should have had other penalties, but you knew that Madrid was going to win. I mean, that just kind of always works out that way. I saw, I was more impressed with the Atletico victory. They looked a little bit better coming with the 5 nothing victory against Leganes. But, you know, tomorrow, or actually not tomorrow, tonight's game is the most important game that I'm really worried about with the La Liga. Because, yeah, Real Madrid and Atletico are still going to be between, they could be between 7 or 10 points depending on what goes on tonight. But I really do think that Real Madrid is eventually going to put on. But, um, you know, Real Madrid is still struggling. They, they, their gameplay is still something's off, like something is going on. They're, they don't have that co- connection. They're not rolling teams like they usually do. And especially this past week in the Champions, like I was, uh, I was giving some of my students some crap this week because I was like, nothing like getting healthy against Apoel from – Bulgaria, you know, they want six nothing or something, you know, and so now, like the paper said, like, uh, Ronaldo repeated his performance. And I'm like, really? I mean, he had a penalty kick and like, 
to me didn't seem like he had such a great game. But we'll see. Like we, it's a long season, so we'll see what happens in the springtime when with Champions League in full effect and La Liga in full effect. Yeah, and so we're recording this first part of the episode prior to the Valencia match, uh, mostly so that I can get a jump on editing it uh, before that Valencia match. So. Uh, at some point later on, we're going to pause the recording and hopefully our our tone of voice won't shift dramatically. Hopefully there will be a win to talk about, but we'll know more about that later. And so we don't have anything to say about the Valencia match as of yet. We'll pick that up in our match reviews segment, which is starting right now. But our first match to review is uh, from midweek. It was in the Champions League Group D with Juventus played in Juventus Stadium or Allianz Stadium, however you want to talk about it. It was a 0-0 tie, scoreless draw. And actually, I mean, for a scoreless draw, it was not a boring match by any stretch. It was a very exciting game, actually. But there just weren't any goals. So whenever people who don't watch a lot of soccer say, oh, there's no scoring in soccer, I'm like, well, yeah, that's true. And there are definitely scoreless draws that are boring as hell to watch. But this was not one of them. And this is sort of like the... um, the exception that maybe proves the rule. I don't know. But uh, I thought this was interesting, this pre-match stat that I, that I discovered. Uh, apparently, Juventus has only lost six matches in that stadium in the last six years. So you knew going in that this was going to be a, a tough pull for Barcelona, right? Exactly. And I have here in my notes, I think this was the best played game of the year for FC Barcelona. And I know it's kind of like, it's. I'm not trying to be a hot take here or anything like that, but I just think... That if you would have told me, now if you listen to the episode, I don't know, 45, 46 of this, where I was upset that we had Paulinho and upset of the way we were playing and how we got routed against Madrid. If you would have told me in episode 45 era, like in August, that we would have gone to Turin without Messi playing most of the game and Paulinho starting, that we wouldn't have given up a, a goal and we got a point, I would have told you you're crazy. Yeah, no, me too. And I would never have told you such a thing. Exactly, exactly. And that's exactly what happened, right? Like, when we saw the lineup, I texted you right away. I was like, Messi's out. And then I started reading on Twitter, and it was like, it was a manager's decision. And at first, I was kind of like, okay, um, we do need him. But at the same time, I was like, you know, he needs the rest. And plus, we have Valencia coming up. So I could totally understand that. And I think... What I would have done differently with the lineup is I would have just had Paco in there as well. I would have taken deuces out. But other than that, I was thoroughly impressed with how we played defense. Again, Ter Stegen, amazing. We did enough in the game tactically that we stymied Juventus enough that they didn't have that many goal-scoring opportunities. And we were able to get that point. And now we're going to be top of the table. And now we can, we have, we're going to have a fully rested Messi against Valencia, basically. Yeah, so uh, a surprising decision. Everyone was a little shocked, uh, but probably for the best. Um, like we said, the, the most likely uh, explanation as to why Messi started on the bench was just to give him rest because we knew we had that important Valencia match coming, uh, and we knew that if we could at least just get a draw anyway, um, then we'd be in a good position in the Champions League. But I do have another possible, I don't know, hypothesis is it possible that Valverde was actually trying to confuse or surprise Allegri? Because I feel like Allegri would just would not have seen that decision coming. Was there any kind of tactical confusion involved? No, I don't think okay. that's that's now because Juventus 
are equally talented, right? So it's not like they're a, such a lower t- uh, tier team that it, without Messi, it's going to throw all their tactics out the window. I mean, you saw their lineup. They had, you know, a who's who, basically. They had Diala. They had Costa. They When I saw their lineup, I was like, good God. I was like, I didn't realize how stacked Juventus was. I just, you know, I don't follow Serie A, so I don't really follow their new up players and Juventus. But when I saw the team sheet, I was like, good God, they're, they are stacked. We're gonna, we are going to be, we may be in trouble. But again, Val Green rolls the lineup again and we get the result like so is it a bit of luck and a bit of tactics i obviously i think it's a little bit of both but also you know the players are all in right it doesn't matter who's playing all the players are concentrating i mean did you see how they were pressing in that game i haven't seen the pressing like that in so long and obviously it was a clear tactical thing that they were going to do and you know in the past couple games when juventus saw the video they're probably saying oh varsa's not going to press as much as they used to in the first couple games and val green came up with this wrinkle and it confused juventus for most of the game because they were not prepared especially the first half with how pressing barcelona was going to be so that was a really nice surprise and of course barcelona were able to do that because they had younger players out there running out there they had paulinho they had deuces out there really pressing high obviously suarez was pressing and it was just really again it's just great to see val green that we have a manager now that is making these tactical adjustments before games and also with the lineups that the other team's are kind of keeping a surprise. So I'm with you in that a little bit with those wrinkles, but I don't think the messy thing was just to completely confuse Allegri. Yeah, it was probably just to uh, to give him some rest. Now, as far as the deuces thing goes versus Alcázar, I do think that Paco would have been maybe a little bit better for attacking, but if you want to talk about the pressing and just like the work rate in terms of like getting the ball back and helping out with defense, I think deuces is the better, the better player for that role. Ver- over Paco. Yeah, I agree. I mean, right. So Deuces is a better uh, pressing defender. But again, I, I almost would have rather have Paco in there for Suarez even because how many times is like I have here and we have here in the notes, right? Like how many times was he offsides? How many times did he lose the ball? How many times did he make the wrong decision on passing? It was irking me so much. I was watching the game with some friends and I just was like, is this guy serious? What's he doing? What's he doing? Like every time he has to pass left, he would pass right. Every time he had to shoot, he'd pass. Every time he had a pass, he would. Sh- it was just like driving me crazy. And I put a question on Twitter. I said, if Paco plays for Suarez, do we score a goal on any of those chances? Because I think Paco is a better first touch and first passing is his better attribute. And I think he would have held the ball better to give Barcelona more opportunities to even get more dangerous play. But again, Suarez, again, we always talk about episode 45, 49, 51, 52, about Suarez's offsides. It's ridiculous how often he's always offsides. There was a bunch of times where he's just walking and he's like, oh, I'm offsides already. Um, I'm going to walk back. It's like run man hustle like my mom would say right hustle yeah show some hustle well he was only called offside once but yeah there were numerous occasions where he was in an offside position and so he wasn't part of the play but we have agreed that if if he can play one match where he just isn't called offside we'll give him man of the match whether he scores or not exactly i would agree and maybe we i don't know i like we like i've highlighted before when i when i played it was something that was always on my mind 
when I was a striker, not to be offsides, right? To keep the play going, to keep the attack going. And I know that Suarez is operating at a higher level. He's an elite striker, but that should be like on his thing to not be offsides. You know, how many times if you watch that game over again, there's a bunch of times where they're about to pass it to him over the top and they're like, oh, he's offsides, can't do it. And they have to bring it back. Yeah, just poor positioning so many times and breaks up a lot of plays and uh, keeps it from moving forward. So, I, I mean, I think we could have won if he'd have been just a little bit more aware and a little, showed a, had a little bit more hustle in, in getting into onside positions. But other players for Barcelona who uh, played really well, first up, Ter Stegen. you got to talk about Ter Stegen, right? Yeah, so I ran a Twitter poll about the man of the match other than Messi, and from the Twitter readers, Ter Stegen won the man of the match. I think he made some, obviously, some key saves, but I'm, if we're talking the whole game, he wasn't really under siege that much, as much as I thought he was going to be, but he did make, obviously, the biggest save of the night on Diablo, where Diablo started running away as he was going to celebrate, and Ter Stegen's like, nope, not today, appreciate it, and he just pushes that away, right? Again, Ter Stegen's is having one of his the great goalkeeping years of all time. I mean... He hasn't let a goal in in so many minutes. I don't know how many minutes. So many shutouts this year. And his passing, obviously, there was a couple passes in this game where they were a little iffy. But, again, he's such a remarkable passer. He's just he's just having a great year. He's, he's becoming the rock back there, which is great to see. Yeah, that save was top class, too, because it was a good finish. You know, first touch shot from Dybala. I mean, it was it was a hard shot to save, and he just got down, got his hand on it, and it was a great save. So absolutely, Tristegan deserves um, a lot of credit for at least that one save and not a whole lot else he did. But, of course, then there were also those other times where Juventus was, was pressing up high, they were putting a lot of pressure on Umtiti and PK, you know, on the back four, not letting them get it out too much. But then that opened up all kinds of midfield space. They give it to Ter Stegen and he can just drop it to midfield. He can just drop it right in Rakitic's lap and that sort of thing. And he was doing it. Exactly. And obviously, you know, we have here in our notes about Iniesta. Iniesta, for me, he had a great game. Not a great game, a good game. He had some really bad passes. He had like two where he kind of gave it away in the defensive part where it led to a counterattack. But I think most notable was when he got subbed off, he got a standing ovation from the Juventus crowd, which is crazy. I mean, it's like this guy cannot do anything wrong. You know, he's just like Don Iniesta. Like I go anywhere in Spain, drinks are bought for me because I won the World Cup and I go outside of Europe and I just get these standing ovations. You know, like he's just like the man. Yeah, he can go anywhere. When he came off and the crowd was giving a stand ovation, at first I was like, are they giving him an ovation because he's leaving or just respect? And then obviously because of the respect, right? Because they don't know how many more years they're going to see him coming through with the Champions League. And so it was really nice to see the respect. But again, Don Iniesta, like, like he goes anywhere, he gets stuff done. And uh, we've already mentioned how uh, Suarez was offside a bunch, which is something that we wanted to highlight, so we did that. Although uh, his free kick was probably among Barca's closest chances at a goal. It was it looked good. It just took a deflection off of Barzali. Exactly. And, you know, when Messi's not there, Suarez is a really good option to have for the free kicks. But again, for me, it just comes down to those decisions, especially when you're playing a good defense against Juventus making the right pass or making the right decision to shoot. And I think right now he's so, like, gun-shy. Like, he doesn't want to shoot for so much, and he wants to pass more than he shoots. But that's what makes him so effective is he shoots almost 
you know, out of nowhere. And he comes up with these great goals and these ideas. And I think he's just not doing that right now. And so that's kind of hindering our attack and obviously his goal production. Yeah. So let's get into man of the match. You go first. All right. So my man of the match was Sergio Busquets. And it's funny because, you know, doing this podcast has really made me appreciate him even more just because of all the respect that people give to Busquets, fellow Kool-Aids and so forth. And I always knew that Busquets was important and really, I don't know, just really good, obviously, to have on our team. But in this game, it just really highlights how great he is. He's, you know, Iniesta on the decline. We don't have Xavi, but we still have Busquets, and we're still performing at such a high level. Just goes to show you how great Busquets is. He's so smooth, you know, like that is the thing. And maybe he's too smooth sometimes, but... For the most part, like he gets the ball, he's under attack, he just passes left, like no problem. Like, and to me, like that was always a hard skill to develop when I played was to make that pass when someone's bearing down on you. That, and especially a professional, that coming out even quicker. But he just does that so smooth. I think that's a very underrated thing to do. And then also the moment of the match for me, he did that 360 roll on Panjic and it's just, it, it blew up Twitter. Like Twitter just blew up from that and it was great. I mean, he, I wish I could do that move in a game, let alone a Champions League game, you know? And he just, he just, he just did it like nothing. And some of his stats to back up my man of the match, he had 92 total passes, 96% passing accuracy, which is ridiculous. Again, especially for his position of where he's, the connection between the defense and the midfield. He had 14 um, accurate through balls, which is the high for the team. And again, with Messi not playing, his role was even more vital, leading that, as we, as we always said in the past episodes, the battery of FC Barcelona with Umtiti, Pique, Ter Stegen, and Busquets leading that battery on the defense. So yeah, so that was my man of the match. What do you, what do you think of Busquets' performances against Juventus? No, I totally agree. I'm 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 with you. In fact, I'm just going to go ahead and say my man of the match is also Busquets. I would like to point out that I think Semedo had a great game as well. Uh, you know, I just love how he's developing. His end-to-end possession game is always good. Uh, he's got strength, speed. He's got a great touch. He's always looking to keep the ball and move it forward. Um, he's looking bolder in the attacking end. But back to Busquets, yeah. I'm with you. Busquets was also my man of the match. What's funny about Busquets, right, is how understated he is. You know, he he keeps it simple and accurate, and he's just he's just all about quality, getting it done. He's always looking to move the attack forward, but he's just so great at where he positions himself. He's so great on the ball. I mean, like you said, 96.7% passing accuracy. That's ridiculous with 92 passes in his position. But he does it so effortlessly and so kind of under the radar almost. You don't even notice how great he is until he's not playing. Until it's some other game where Rakitic is playing in that position or Pauly or something. And you realize just what you're missing when Busquets isn't on the field. Exactly. And, you know, I had this in the notes for the 2010 El Clasico, but I think it's so fitting for this. There was a quote that I found, I think it was from The Guardian, about the match report of this. And it just said, Busquets anchored the midfield triangle with geometric precision. Like, that is, that's beautiful. That's just Busquets, man. Like, he just knows the angles, the triangles. He's always in the best position. And obviously, like you just said, when he's not there, it puts the team in flux and that just shows how important he is. Maybe if he was like more outspoken or I don't know, had more endorsements, maybe more people would uh, 
I don't know, like rate him properly. But if you ask, like especially when I listen to ESPN FC or uh, UK, they just think Busquets is not that good. They think he's soft and he's super overrated and he's not that important. But just look at his 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 history, what he's won. He's won everything and at a consistent level for the last nine years. And it's crazy. And again, just doing this podcast, like, you know, I always thought he was a great player, but just more and more, I just forget how great he is. And a game against Juventus where we really needed a solid performance, he came through. And again, that passing accuracy is ridiculous. I mean, you couldn't even have 96% against 12-year-olds. Like, you would still probably be in the 90, 85%. And 96 at this level, an away game in Turin, especially where the pitch was slick and fast and wet, and Busquets just make it so smooth. You know, he's like, he's like, he's like Coltrane, right? Like the jazz player, like just, just so smooth, so smooth. Oh yeah, Coltrane. Well, oh, well, okay, no, we don't want to get into that. I could, <laughs> I could honestly, I could host an hour long podcast that tries to answer the question, which jazz saxophonist is Sergio Busquets? Like I could do that, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Good, yeah, because I wouldn't know anything about it. So let's just keep it to here on the Barca talk. Busquets is the man of the match other than Messi against Juventus. Absolutely. And particularly in this case, since, you know, Messi didn't play most of the match. But anyway, here's what we're going to do right now. Um, We're going to pause the recording. I mean, for you listening, it's going to flow seamlessly. But I just want you to know, hopefully the tone in our voices is not going to change because we're going to pick up the recording after the Valencia match. And hopefully we'll be able to remain in high spirits. But next up is our review of the Valencia match. All right, we're back. And we aren't completely heartbroken, but we're pretty heartbroken. Uh, So we just watched the Barcelona-Valencia match. Ended in a 1-1 draw. So um, as far as points go, Barcelona's still on top. Valencia's just as far behind as they were before. But uh, I think first things first... Goal line technology, yeah? Correct. I mean, that was, if any a time to like show a video for goal line technology was this game, because this game was super important, a super important La Liga game. Valencia, Barcelona, you knew this was going to be a tight game all the way through. And on that goal, Messi had a clear shot. It definitely went past the line. Everyone on Twitter verified for it. But my biggest thing was the way the referee just dismissed it, like it was like nothing. That's what really got to me. And also, the other Valencia had a chance for a counter. And if they would have scored on that counter, who knows what would have happened. It would have been just pure chaos. I mean, we definitely need to get goal line technology. This is ridiculous. Yeah, well, that is in the works for next year. That is going to happen. Uh, well, I guess, uh, strictly speaking, it's going to be video-assisted referees, but uh, same idea, right? Basically the same idea. Used in only certain circumstances, but that the thing that happened today uh, would have been one of those circumstances. Uh, I can't believe that the referee didn't catch that, though. I mean, it was well over the line. It wasn't even... I mean, it wasn't even close. Exactly, and that's the thing. And then if you watch the replay, the way the referee just, like, shushed Messi and Suarez away like that, like, like we, like it was their fault for even questioning it, That that's what really got to me. It wasn't even, like, 
he didn't even like refer back to the referee, stop play and say, hey, was it a goal or whatnot? He just shushed it. And then all of a sudden there was a counterattack going the other way with Valencia. And of course, Barcelona was in the middle of celebrating the goal. So they had nobody in the middle. If you watch the replay on that, they were going coast to coast the other way. And luckily, Umtiti and Vermeulen were still on defense because if they weren't, Valencia would have had like a four on one. Yeah. Yeah. It was So they managed to shut down that counter. But uh, and then everyone was just on the referee's in the referee's face and and rightly so so like that was so that's the top that's the lead for this match uh 30 minutes in in case you didn't watch it and in, and if for some reason you're watching highlights that don't include this 30 minutes in Messi scored a goal Neto got his hands on it the goalkeeper but it bounced behind him and into the goal he came back and like scooped it out but it had already well crossed the line and uh, very controversial. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure Twitter absolutely blew up. Uh, you would know better than I. Yeah, me and my Twitter followers and friends, we were going back and forth. I mean, it's just, it's one thing when it's like you know, a fluke call or something that's iffy. But when it's, you know, I was in a bar watching this on not HD TV from far away, and also like the angle of the camera was far away as well, and I could see that the ball bounced because. You just know geometry, you know, like the way the ball bounces, like it's not doesn't take anything. And I get it. If the referee couldn't see a clear vision, the side ref had a better angle because he would have seen how the ball crossed the line. But he didn't even refer to him. That's the whole thing. Like he just the the main referee was just like, nope, that that wasn't a goal. And then just kept play going. And then, like I said, like it would have been disastrous. Thank God Umtiti and Vermeulen would have that they stayed back and weren't full-on in celebration yeah so very disappointing uh, la liga referees as you tell me are the worst and uh, here's more evidence of that but all we can do now is uh look forward to next year when we'll have some uh, var's and or goal line technology to avoid any mistakes like this uh, in the future uh really disappointing but anyway uh let's talk about the the lineup in general because uh, for Barcelona specifically I, I would say there were no real surprises we knew Vermeulen was going to be in there because PK was on a yellow card suspension uh, we saw that Suarez was in there we were both hoping that Paco would have been in there instead of Suarez is that what we what you were thinking no I mean I would have you know I think that Val Green got the tactics wrong in the first half for this match I think Going to this 4-1-1 type of formation with Messi behind Suarez, I think, was the wrong way to go. And I understand, like, this is, you could just tell it was evident that it was the third away game. You can just tell, like, energy-wise, the way Val Green put the lineup, like, he was just looking just to try to get the points. That was his main goal. And I think going to maybe a 4-4-2 with Messi, kind of like in a diamond with Paco and Suarez at the top, I think would have really created more chaos and created more opportunities. But Suarez, again, like we just we talked about earlier today, he looks lost. He has no confidence. He, again, had six offsides. You noted here the time. I mean, I'm, I got to give you a lot of credit here. I was going off on Twitter about this because, again, it's just like simple striker, like 
that's what you got to do. That's like number two. It's like score goals, number one. And number two, stay on side. Like if you're off sides all the time, you're ruining the play. And how many times was he off sides? And he looks back and he's like, who, me? And it's like, yeah, dog, you. Always you. No one, no one. Yeah, nobody <laughs> yeah, else. Dog. It's you, you know? And like how many times did he break up the the flow of the offense because he was off sides and we were, we were attacking, you know? And that's the thing is that like, you know, I get it. Like Suarez is our number nine. He's our high paid guy, you know, and I think maybe Val Green just has too much confidence in him right now, but give him some help. Like don't put Suarez on the island, link up with him. So Paco takes some pressure off of him so that this, the defense has to focus on two strikers. Again, you know, when you're playing defense and you have two strikers coming at you, crisscrossing, changing sides, that's really difficult to match up against as opposed to the lone striker where the two defenders can always mark up and find him. It's a lot easier. And again, with Paco playing the way he's been playing recently, I just think it would have been a better change of pace. I think, again, I think the tactics were wrong. I think we should have at least been in a 4-3-3 and just try with a 4-3-3 instead of this 4-4-2 formation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, six times Suarez was was offsides, and uh, I really would every time Val Green made a substitution, I was I kept hoping put Paco on. Where's Paco? I, I think when Vidal came on, that was when I was like, really, really, you're gonna bring Vidal on, and P- and Paco doesn't get to play. Like, oh, man, we need something else. We need something. I mean, everything else is more or less working. <laughs> With how the game is going in terms of getting the ball forward and getting into, like, build-up play. But what we're really lacking is someone up top who can stay on side and put the goal away who isn't clumsy with the ball at his feet. And I really wish that would have been Paco. This is a game where we really missed your boyfriend, Sergio Roberto. I think having him in the midfield instead of Rakitic would have really changed the game. Because Rakitic, again today... He doesn't want to take a chance with attacking through balls and passes. He always wants to make the safe play, and that's fine. But in this type of game where you need that one or two brilliant passes, he just won't do it, right? And him and Semedo didn't play their best game today. Obviously, on the goal from Valencia, Semedo got worked on that overlap. But again, today was a game where, you know, if we have Sergio Roberto in the midfield and a 4-3-3, I definitely think we we are better attacking and we have better pos- – I mean, we had possession the whole game, but we weren't really doing anything as much, you know? And, yeah, so your boy Blue Eyes would have definitely come in handy today for sure. Yeah, I was really feeling his absence today in this uh, in this Valencia match. But, uh, yeah, like Valencia worked that goal. In fact, they were really working Semedo down, down that side uh, the whole second half. It seemed like every time they came down that side, he looked scared. He looked in trouble. Uh, so, I mean – it was at least a good call to maybe uh, take him out, put someone else in, uh, because, yeah, Semedo wasn't having a great game specifically uh, early on. And I think that that goal where they uh, they just juked him out and got, got through on the overlap, I think that really hurt his spirit, and he just wasn't playing very well after that. On the bright side, though, the the equalizer from Jordi Alba was incredible. Incredible. It, it was. It was. It was really incredible. But first, before we get into that goal real quick, I was listening to the um, the La Liga podcast from Sky Sports, and they made an interesting point about managers being on the touchline and managers being up above. Now, Marcelino, the manager for Valencia, was not allowed to be on the touchline, but he was allowed to be up in the stands, and he probably could have gone down to the locker room at halftime. 
And I definitely think he saw the Semedo weakness because in that second half, Valencia brought it to us. Like they were like all of a sudden they made these huge adjustments and they they were bringing it to us. Like all of a sudden it was really going back and forth. So I don't know if Val Green is unable to see the performance of Suarez during the game. And Marcelino had that advantage because he was in the stands. Because, you know, when you're in the stands, you have a better point of view of looking at the tactics and seeing what kind of adjustments you can make and better adjustments. So I think that was a very interesting point because in the second half, it was just going, it was definitely more Valencia, especially the first 15 minutes. They were just, I mean, they were on us the whole, you know, for those 15 minutes and Semedo just looked lost, you know. So obviously they found that weakness. Now, going, you know, as we said before in a previous podcast, we have Messi and you don't. Like that pass from running the way he, not only the arc on the pass, like it goes right over the defense. Like, right over, right into Alba's foot, basically. All Alba had to do was stick it out. Like, he didn't really have to, you know, it was almost like the Sergio Roberto goal against PSG where he kind of just misdirected it. But, my God, like, that's still just, the whole bar went crazy. Just not only was there, there was like half and half Valencia and Barca fans at the at the bar I was at, but the pass and the finish was just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was really thinking how, like, Jordi was at, Pretty much full speed. I mean, he well, no, he can go much faster than that. But he was on the run for sure. And he just, yeah, stuck his foot out in pace, full volley, went right in the top corner, total golasso. But it was all, of course, set up by the absolutely perfect ball from Messi. The trajectory, the placement. It's He knew where Jordi's foot was going to be somehow, and he put it there. I mean, that's that's what it seems like. Exactly. And not only that, but like if you watch the replay, the way Messi, he barely looks up like he he kind of just like glances up. sees he already knows Alba's going to make that run. And he just takes it like he just makes sure he's going to hit that ball perfectly. It's a perfect art over the defense. Perfect pass. I mean, what else can you say? I mean, you know, if he would have had the first goal and this assist, it's like the best week of Messi. You know, it's just like contract extension. Check. Golden boot. Check goal and game winner check check you know it would have been just an amazing capper to the week but like we said in the earlier at least we got the points and that's really the most important thing again yeah ultimately that's that's all that we're um that's well that's the first thing that we're after we're after the points and at least we got those points uh we should have had more points and i hope that referee learns something from this because that was a like a couple of bad decisions all in a row first of all not recognizing that it was a goal secondly like you pointed out just being so dismissive about it, not even asking his assistant to to see about it. So should have been a win, but it, we wound up with a draw. It was uh, a little disappointing, but not uh, could have been worse. Uh, thanks to that that golasso. So I have an idea. Maybe you should write a long worded essay to the to the referee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dear referee, sh- one thousand words. <laughs> You are yeah. terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Just over and over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And over. <laughs> See if he reads it. Yeah, well, um, I actually uh, I made a lot of notes during the match, but I'll, I'll be totally honest, I did not pick a man of the match. Did you? I didn't. Uh, my, my man of the match is goal line technology. It cannot come here soon enough because... You know, overall, the team, you know, like I said, this was, you could tell it was the third away game, you know, third game kind of in the week. I guess my man of the match, if I had to actually pick one, would be Monsieur Umtiti. Because, again, like, I saw other people talking about Umtiti, so I know it's not just me, like, my man crush on Umtiti. 
but how many times did he anticipate plays? And it's just like so easy for him. Like I, every time he picks out the play, he picks it out perfectly. And I remember one time he kind of just stuck his foot out one time, like on a half volley, intercepts the ball. That's the first thing. But then also like deflects it perfectly to Busquets. And I just turned to my friend. I was like, did you see how easily he just did that? Like he just flicked his foot out and it perfectly passed. So I guess I would pick the man of the match, Umtiti, because, you know, a, Vermeulen didn't get hurt. Check. B, he didn't make any mistakes. Check. The only thing that was missing is him hitting a game winner. I mean, that's what people on Twitter were saying. We're like, Vermeulen just needs to do a header for a game winner, and that'll just, like, seal the season for us. But, you know, Vermeulen looked serviceable tonight, you know? And I think a lot of it had to do with Umtiti just kind of guiding him. So I think if I had to absolutely pick one, it would probably be Umtiti as my man of the match other than Messi. Yeah, I'd go with that for sure. I mean, like, he... He had a lot of great moments where he was was breaking up play. And again, like you said, just reading the plays so accurately, anticipating everything. And I was surprised at how well Vermalen played. And I think you're probably right that that probably has a lot to do with, uh, with Umtiti, you know, guiding him and running the defense. So, yeah, man of the match to Umtiti, Monsieur Umtiti, as we like to say here on Barca Talk. Yeah, and I, and I also think, you know, that's the other thing is that Vermeulen was protected by the 4-4-2 formation because we had four midfielders protecting the defense, you know. And I understand that's probably why Marcelino went that route, just to protect Vermeulen to make sure we were defense first. Um, obviously, Umtiti, he made one bad read on that goal. Like, he should have maybe stuck out his foot a little bit faster, but can't blame him on that thing. I mean, he he broke up, like, ten other plays, and you can't break up every single play. But other than that, I mean, I just think, you know, I wish we would have done more of a 4-3-3 tonight. I think we could have brought it to them. I think Valencia definitely in the first half were nervous about the match. You can kind of tell. And then all of a sudden the second half, I think they realized that they could play with Barcelona. They changed their tactics and they were more on the offensive in the second half for sure. So I think overall, you know, we survived this hell week, right? We got a win, a tie and a tie. It could have been I think we could have had two opportunities for the both wins, but I'm I'm happy with the end result of the games this week, and we just have to move forward. I mean, today, which is more evident that we need your boy Sergio Roberto back, and also we just need just more flexibility in our attacking. You know, like we talked earlier with the Mesut Ozil thing, that doesn't really drive me. I think Paco and Suarez as a pair, we should just definitely ride that out and see how far we can go with that. I think that'll give us some more attacking juice that we're lacking currently. Yeah, I'm glad that away hell is over. So looking forward, looking forward to the next thing. So what is the next thing? Well, um, in the Copa del Rey on the 29th, so that's going to be, what, Wednesday, we go into the second leg of the round of 32 Copa del Rey against Murcia, and that'll be at the Camp Nou. So we'll finally be back home. And uh, what can we say about this second leg? The first leg, Barca won three to nothing with a, a mostly second string squad. Uh, of course, I remember the fun thing about that match was how Mascherano was there to clean up after all the uh, the other guys who were kind of making a mess of things. Even even though we wound up winning three nothing, um, th- that's so that's the main thing. Murcia has to come to Barcelona now and play in the Camp Nou. I imagine we're going to see a similar kind of lineup. Um, some younger players, you know, hopefully we'll see some some B-team representation, um, maybe even some rest for 
uh, some of the uh, you know the first team regulars who just had a tough match against Valencia. And uh, what, what what can we say about the Murcia match? So I definitely think, like you said, we're going to see the B team. I think this week is a really good week for us to be back because I think the main starters are going to get like almost a full week off. They're not going to play against Murcia. And they'll be ready for the Celta game after that. So with the Murcia game, again, I think we'll see Elena. I think we'll probably see um, some more reserves. And again, we're at home. So again, we have the wider pitch. And I think we should be able to get another victory, maybe something that's similar, 2 nothing, 3 nothing. And we should be able to move on to the Copa del Rey and then really focus on to Celta, which is the following match in the camp now. Yes, uh, so Celta is going to be on uh, December 2nd. So that's going to be, what, a Saturday, I believe. And uh, that's La Liga, week 14, also in the Camp Nou. And the scouting report on this, uh, let me hand that back to you for the scouting report. Yeah, again, like I would be more worried about this game if this was at Celta because Celta is a difficult place to play because of the weather. It's in the, you know, Celta's from Galicia, so northwest of Spain, where it's kind of almost similar to Seattle weather, where it's rainy, it's cold, it's damp. But since they're playing in Barcelona, I'm, I'm pretty confident we should be able to pull the victory out. Especially, again, you know, the Camp Nou is such a huge home advantage with the wide space. We can really string out lower tier teams out better. Uh, Again, you know, I think we should be able to get the victory. Now, my man to watch, obviously, their main guy, Iago Aspes. He's their striker, their go-to guy. You know, last season he had 29 goals in all competitions. He's, you know, predominantly left-footed. Spanish, you know, he he had a stint in Liverpool. And if you check out on YouTube... Uh, there was a corner kick, famous corner kick, where he came in as a sub for Liverpool, and he does this corner kick, and he did a really bad one. It was intercepted by Chelsea, and so Liverpool fans always remember that famous corner kick, but he's a really good player, a really good player. He's now about 28 years old. He's been on the Spanish national team, but again, he's a dangerous striker that they have. He can go all over the field, but he's the guy to watch, but again, I'm pretty confident that we'll be able to handle it, especially if we're playing in a 4-3-3 and at the camp now we should be able to I'm looking at like a maybe a 2-0 um, 2-1 type of thing or I can also see almost like a 5-0 6-0 trouncing because Celta doesn't really travel well all that time so yeah and I mean Iago Aspas is really good but you know you got to get the ball to him and I think Umtiti is going to have something to say about that. Exactly. Do you think he, he'll start, like, wagging his finger like Dikimi Matumbo, like, not in my house? You know how he, like, does that all the time? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. No, no, no. And, you know, obviously no no translates into many languages, so it doesn't matter if he's Spanish, French, right? No is still no. But, yeah, right. I, I definitely think that they'll be able to get the victory. And, again, it's really nice to come home. This is almost like the full the, the main – players are going to have a full week of rest so they'll be ready to go against Celta and I believe the game's at night as well so that also helps as well I don't think it's a daytime game so actually you know Gabriel I just checked a quick correction it's a one o'clock afternoon game so for me on the east coast that's going to be uh, bright and early 7 a.m and if you're on the west coast it's going to be 4 a.m yeah, so good luck with that. That's the, you know you know it's funny because the one o'clock kickoff time, like we talked about um, last week against the Leganes game, one o'clock is going to be super super early for this Barcelona team. But at least they're at home, so at least they'll have a little bit more energy, a pep in their step. They'll be able to sleep in their own bed.
Barca Talk is written by Gabriel Quiroga and myself, Brian Henderson. The show was edited by me. The music is by me. Gabriel is our promotion and social media manager. That's right, folks. This is a two-man show. Be a part of it. Give us your comments, questions, topics you'd like us to discuss. You could visit us at barsatalk.net to find your preferred method of contact. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word about Barca Talk to your friends. Until next week, I'm Brian Henderson. I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this is Barca Talk. Thank you for listening. Visca Barca. Visca Barca. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.